Luke 16, um, 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in a purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Just pause and pray with me. Father, we thank you for how you've been speaking in many ways in this service, through the songs of praise, through the times of prayer. Thank you so much for speaking to us through Angelique's testimony of uh, the hope and the faithfulness that you show to us. And now we ask that you'd speak to us through this passage of your word. Uh, help me to speak clearly, help me to speak truthfully, and let us hear your voice in the word today. In Christ's name, amen. One of, the, one of the more difficult teachings in Scripture is the doctrine of divine judgment. And this is the idea that someday God will judge every person who's ever lived, that He will welcome the righteous into the joy of His presence, and that He will condemn the unrighteous to eternal wrath. That's, that's not an easy teaching. Would you agree with that? It's just, it's, this is really hard for many of us to wrap our, our minds around. But if you look in the Bible, you'll discover that no one in Scripture taught more frequently and more extensively about God's judgment than Jesus did. According, according to one tabulation, there are 273 verses in, in the Bible where Jesus talked about heaven or ideas related to that. There are 172 verses where he talked about hell and ideas related to that. So if you put, put those verses together, this, this would mean that Jesus, Jesus talked more about the age to come and the judgment of God than any other topic he ever discussed. I mean, imagine if we could have Jesus himself come and be a, a guest preacher in our church for just one Sunday. I wonder what he would preach about. Oh, well, statistics would indicate he would probably give us a sermon 
about heaven and hell. He talked about it virtually all the time. We've been studying the parables, and uh, the parable we're looking at today is one of those examples of a place where Jesus teaches about the coming judgment of God. And what, what I'd like to do with, as we look at this parable, just point out three things here that I think we learn about God's judgment in this story. So one, one thing we learn here is that divine judgment is unavoidable. This is unavoidable. So in the story, there are two men who spend their earthly lives in very close proximity to each other, right? They're, they are members of the same generation. They are residents of the same town. They, 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 went, they went through life, um, you know, spending most of their waking hours literally yards apart from each other, right? But if you, if you look at the details that Christ gives us of this story, you see that the, the lives of these two men they couldn't possibly have been more different than they were, right? The one, the one man was very rich. The other man was very poor. The one man lived in a gated home. The other man lay in the streets. The, the one man was clothed, it says, purple and fine linen. Back then, that was the, the most expensive clothing you could find. The other man was covered with sores. The one man had a very extensive social network. Five brothers. He could call on any one of them in a time of need. The other man, it seems like the only companions who cared about him were these dogs that would come and lick his sores, right? Two, two men with very different lives. But the one thing they had in common, they both died and faced the judgment of God, right? Verse 22 says the, the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, or some translations would say Abraham's bosom. And this phrase, Abraham's side, this was a Hebraic metaphor for what we would basically call heaven. He went to heaven. The rich man died, was buried, and he opened his eyes in Hades, a place of, of agony and suffering. Some translations would render that he was in hell. So neither man could avoid being judged by God. The, the fact that the poor man was probably overlooked by everyone in his town during his lifetime, that did not mean that his existence was unnoticed by the Lord, right? God valued that beggar's life. And because God valued his life, God evaluated his life. God God judged him and found him to be righteous and welcomed this man into glory. You'll notice verse 22 says that the rich man was buried. But did you notice there's no mention of a burial for, for the poor man, right? It's, it, maybe there was no funeral. Maybe they just threw him in some kind of pauper's grave. Nobody, nobody bothered to set up a stone to mark the grave with his name etched in it. Nobody cared about his name. But did you notice God knew his name? We're told his name. His name is, is Lazarus, right? So, so the, the poor man was not overlooked in God's judgment because he was poor, right? And the rich man was not exempt from God's judgment because he was rich. Now, we all know that in our society, I think this is probably true in every society of, of human beings through all of history, wealth and power always bring advantages with them, don't they? It's, it, it's, it's good to be rich. 
you have money, it, it can free you from certain burdens that other people have to face. It can open doors for you that might never open for other people. It's good to be rich, but here's what we learn in this parable, and we learn other places in the Bible. All the money in the world, all the money in the world can never rescue anyone from facing the judgment of God. We, we often hear in the news reports about some extremely wealthy people in our country. They will be judged by God just like anyone else. Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath. I wonder how many people forget that. So you see, the rich man, just like the poor man, died. And just like the poor man, the rich man was judged. But unlike the poor man, the, the, the rich man's life was found to be lacking by God. And so he was condemned to ongoing torment. Now, I, I don't know, but I wonder if it was surprising to this rich man to find himself <laughs> cast into this place of God's wrath. I mean, Jesus gives us certain details about this man's life that indicate he, he might have been assuming that everything between him and God was okay. He might have thought, you know, I don't have a problem. I don't need to fear judgment. You'll notice that the rich man calls Abraham father, right? And, and Abraham calls him son, meaning that he was an Israelite. He, he was not an idolater. He was not some pagan out there worshiping idols. He was a member of the covenant people of God. In today's context, we would say he was a member of the church. You'll also notice that this man, it seems that he was raised in a Bible-believing home. I wonder if any of you grew up in a Bible-believing home. What a blessing, right? Abraham said to this man, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. In other words, you come from a family where people know and teach and have the Bible. So th this is the kind of person we're talking about. He's, he's raised in the covenant. He's, he's raised with the scriptures. He grows up just thinking of himself as one of God's people, not realizing that throughout his life, he's on a path to what he calls in verse 28, a place of torment. Now, a question you'll often ask when you read this parable is, why was this man condemned? And, and Jesus does not give a lot of details about that, does it? Does he? I, I think you, we can tell from, from Scripture that he, he wasn't sent to hell because he was rich. We would misunderstand this parable if we, if we read it like, poor people go to heaven, rich people go to hell. That, that wouldn't be consistent with what you read in the rest of the Bible. Many places in the Bible, you'll read of very wealthy people who were counted among the godly, King David, Queen Esther, even, even Abraham himself, who's mentioned here, was one of the richest men of his, his day. So he wasn't condemned because he was rich. Well, then why was he condemned? It, it seems he was condemned um, because of what he did with his riches. Or maybe you should say what he did not do with his riches, right? He, 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 he just used his wealth selfishly, didn't use his resources to, to serve the needs of others around him. He, he, and, and you might say, well, well, that's not such a big deal, is it? It's his money. He can do what he wants with it, right? Uh, if you read the Bible, you'll never reach that conclusion, will you? But the Bible tells us to look at the, the, uh, the possessions that we have in a, in a way that's very different than the world thinks about their possessions. We, we, are, we are to look at our, our possessions as, yes, they belong to us, they're in our control, but they're only in our control very temporarily, aren't they? 
until our life here is done. It's kind of like everything God gives us. You're just managing these resources for His glory or not for His glory, but you're just managing them for a temporary time. Then you leave them behind. You don't take them with you. And so the Bible would tell us that to, to, uh, to use your wealth in ways that only serves yourself, that never helps the needs of the poor, God views that as a very serious sin. In fact, in the New Testament, um, the apostles would tell us that indifference to the needs of others, like you just don't really care, that, that's, an, that's an indication that someone, even if they might call themselves a Christian, they are probably not born again. They're probably not regenerate. First John 3 verse 17 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So it seems that this rich man was condemned um, because he never helped Lazarus, right? The beggar outside his, his gate. But the point I'm trying to make here is that God's judgment is unavoidable. Neither the rich man nor the poor man could avoid that appointment with their creator. And, and, and we see that other places in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, and remember, he's writing here to Christians. Paul said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So one thing we learn Divine judgment is unavoidable. Second thing, and this is where it gets hard, divine judgment, we learn here, is irrevocable. Now, there's a, there's a TV show that my wife and I love to watch together. I don't know if any of you like this show. Have you heard of the show The Voice? Anybody like The Voice? We, love, we just love that show. It's one of these singing competitions. And, and in the early rounds of, of the competition, uh, the contestant will come out on the, on the stage and sing his or her song. And all the judges, if you've seen this, the, all the judges are in their chairs, but their chairs are facing the other direction. They can't see who's singing. All they can do is listen to them sing. And if the judge approves of the singer's performance and wants him or her on their team, the judge will push their button and the chair turns around and they say, I love the way you sing. I want you on my team. Well, every now and then, someone will go out there and sing for the judges and no chairs will turn around. None of the judges approve of their singing. None of the judges want them on their team. And it's always, you know, very disappointing for the singer, as you can imagine. But what I love about the voices, they're always so nice and encouraging. And so even in a situation like that, very often the judges will say to the person who's just been eliminated, you know, you actually have some really good natural talent. There were some things we really liked about you. It's just a little raw. You're still very young. We would counsel you, go get some professional training, keep working on this, and then come back and see us again. Come and try out again. That you just, and sometimes people will even come back and try out one more time for The Voice. And so one thing I love about that show is that on The Voice, if you, if you, if you don't make it past the judge's analysis, you get a second chance. But Jesus teaches us that it's, it's not like that with the judgment of God. Did you notice that the rich man in this parable, he is not 
given a second chance, even though he pleads with, with Father Abraham for some kind of relief. Verse 24, he calls out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of the finger, his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. In this fire, he's just pleading. If, if just something could be done, anything to done, could be done to, to change his situation even a little bit, to make it more tolerable. But Abraham says, sorry, that cannot be. Verse 26, he says, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. One Bible commentator writing on this passage, he, he wrote, the hearer of the parable now learns the lesson that unfortunately the rich man had not learned in his lifetime. After death, there's no longer any opportunity to change one's condition. So, one of the phrases that Jesus often used in, in the uh, Gospels to describe the, the final destiny of the unrighteous was the phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have any of you heard that phrase before in the Bible? Jesus would often, seven times, in fact, in the Gospels, Jesus said, this is what it will be like. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not exactly sure what he meant by that, but whenever I hear that phrase, what comes to mind for me is there, there'll be this just ongoing, relentless feeling of remorse, just regret, just gnashing your teeth. Why? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I pay attention? Why? It's too late now. Just that, that sense of regret. And I wonder if this, if this rich man was feeling some of that just regret when he looked up and he saw the distance, the chasm that separated him from, from, from Lazarus and was so far away. I wonder if he just thought, wow, you, you know, um, through my whole life, Lazarus was only just a few yards away. He was right outside my door. All I had to do was walk in. It would have taken me 30 seconds. I could just walk out the door. He was right there my whole life. I could have, I could have done something. It would have been so easy to help him. I, I, and I wonder, who, who knows, how, how many times during his life he had intended to do something for this poor man in the street. I wonder how many times he, as his head hit the pillow at night going to sleep, he said, you know, one of these days I'm going to go help that guy out there. He looks like he could use some help. I have some extra I could share with him. One of these days, one of these days, one of these days. But now, as he sees Lazarus in the distance, he, he just realizes, now it's too late. It's too late. That opportunity is gone. One uh, Christian pastor named R.C. Sproul, who was preaching on this passage, he, he said this. He said, the principal point, I think, of the parable is this. There is a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell. And once a person lives their life here, there's no bridge from hell to heaven after death. As the Bible says, we live our lives, we die, and we're appointed then for the judgment. There's no second chance beyond the grave. The verse he's referring to there is a verse you might know, Hebrews 9, verse 27. It says, people are destined to die once and after that face judgment. <laughs> Beginning to see why this is a hard teaching, isn't it? Divine judgment is unavoidable. Divine judgment is irrevocable. 
One more thing, and this is important, don't miss this. One more thing we learn from this parable is that divine judgment is escapable, right? This, this, is, this is the good news. Now, listen, none of us can avoid being judged by God. Nobody can. That's going to happen for all of us. But we can, hear this, we can escape condemnation in that judgment. We, none of us in this room right now has to end up like that rich man. None of us does. Now, when, when, uh, when you study a passage of Scripture, like when you study a parable like this, in addition to asking, what did Jesus say? Look at the, the, the details. What did he say? It's also really important to ask yourself, why did he say this? Why did Jesus teach this parable? Why did he so often talk to people about hell? So someone says, I, I think he talked about hell because he's mean. He was sadistic. He just he wanted to make us feel bad. He wanted us to go to hell. That's why, no, come on, really? If, if, if your doctor says to you, um, you have really high cholesterol, you need to change your diet or you could have a heart attack. What would you say to your doctor? Oh, doctor, you're so mean. You're so sadistic. You just want me to feel bad. You want me to die, don't you? No, no, you wouldn't say that. Listen, um, if your doctor voices a health concern, it's not because she wants you to die. It's because she wants you to live. She wants you to live. Listen, it's the same way with this parable. Um, anytime, and, and very often in Scripture, you will read passages that, that warn us about God's judgment. You can't avoid them, right? But anytime you open your Bible and you see, you read a passage warning about God's judgment, implicit in that warning is an invitation to turn from your sin and come to God and be absolutely forgiven and ready for His judgment. Amen? And, and so, Jesus here, He didn't tell us this parable because He hates us. He told us this parable because He loves us. He, <laughs> he, he doesn't want us to end up like that rich man. There's a verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, says, the Lord does not want anyone to perish. Do you believe that? That's the heart of our Father. The Lord does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God warns us because He loves us. I wonder if you've ever met anyone who just kind of felt like it was too late for them. Have you? Sometimes people feel that way. You know, the, the people I've hurt, the things I've done, the years I've neglected, God, it's just it's too late for me. Let me ask you, what would you tell somebody who's feeling that way? I, I, I hope you would tell them what Jesus would tell them. He would say, it is not too late for you at all. See, the, the good news of the gospel is that the, re, the, the reason Jesus came into this world and died on the cross and rose again was so that anyone, no matter where they've been, what they've done, how long they've been doing, anyone can turn to him and be forgiven. Right? We, we heard that in the, in the passage that, that Eleanor read for us from, from Hebrews, that he offered for one time a sacrifice for sins. Anyone can apply to him for forgiveness. Now, uh, in the parable, it's kind of weird that the, the, uh, the rich man says to Abraham, you know what, if you can't give me a, a little drink of water, can you at least send Lazarus back there? 
uh, to, to warn my brother's neighbor. He has, ah, it's not going to work. <laughs> if, they're, if, they're not, if they're not paying attention to Scripture, they're not going to pay attention even if someone rises from the dead. But what if someone did rise from the dead? Just to tell you, you can be forgiven. You can live forever. You can, you can be ready for the judgment. What if somebody did that for you? Do you know somebody did do that for you, right? Jesus, Jesus died on the cross willingly for anyone who will trust in him. He rose from the dead for everyone who will listen to him. He says, I rose. I come to give life. I'm alive. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to me, you will be completely forgiven and restored. So I would encourage you to listen. Listen to that good news. You know, maybe, it may be that God is talking to you today just like he would have said to that rich man. You know what? You let, let, your, you let your faith demonstrate itself in the way that you help the poor around you. Don't just use your money for yourself. That's, uh, that's not an indication of someone who's come to know God, right? But whatever he's saying to you, he's saying it with love. He's saying, he's saying come to me, come to me while there's time and you will be received. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you loved us enough that you didn't leave the hard passages out of the Bible. We don't enjoy them, but we need them. And I pray in, in whatever way this word is needed today by anyone here, that lovingly but clearly your Holy Spirit would speak to us that you would draw us to the Savior who offers forgiveness for all who come to him, that you would encourage us who are trusting in him that we have no need to fear your judgment. And we pray you do this for his glory. Amen.